are in the book of Acts. We've been going through the book um, week by week. And Acts is about the church is a movement. The church is about people who follow Christ who are on mission. And we continue today in Acts chapter 16. We're going to finish the chapter we started last week. So please turn in your Bible or whatever you brought with you. And we always have Bibles at the door. You can grab one on the way in and then you can just drop it on the table on the way out. Or if you don't have one, you just take it home with you, okay? I recently read about a children's Sunday school teacher who was teaching her class about the power of God. And uh, after her time of teaching, she got to the end and she said, Class, can you think of anything that God can't do? Small boy raised his hand very quickly. I know, I know. He can't please everybody. Buddy. It's a pretty insightful observation. Question for you is can God please you? Can God please you? The Bible says that God is the creator. The Bible says God is holy and just. He is all powerful, all knowing, all wise. Everywhere present, he is the God of love and the God of hope and the God of peace. He is sovereign and altogether righteous. He forgives sins. He changes lives. He's full of grace and mercy. He has already judged sin and he will judge the world. Which part of his job description is about people-pleasing? Probably not there. I think about, we're doing a, uh, I do a little plug here for my growth group. Uh, We're doing a growth group called All In. And the central theme is, a lot of us who follow Christ sometimes want Christ to follow us. I think that's so true. I think about it for me sometimes. Sometimes I want to be at the center of the universe and then I want Christ to put his stamp of, of approval on what I want, what I think is important. And I want, you know, I want to be kind of comfortable and I want life to be good. And I sometimes forget about that's not why he's there and that's not why I'm here. God is on a mission not to please you or me. God is on a mission to advance the good news of Jesus Christ in our world. That good news is what we call the gospel. It's good news because there is bad news. A lot of people don't understand the bad news. They just think everything is bad in our world. And, but from a biblical perspective, it's kind of important that we understand perspective. Uh, the Bible says some things about us. First, it's kind of important that we understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means we're not perfect. Um, that if we've committed one sin, we fall into this category that we've all sinned. And the Bible says that's true of every person. That's true of me. It's true of you, every person ever born. And uh, the Bible says there are consequences for the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but it's about an eternal death, a spiritual death. Those are consequences. There's a, there's a, uh, a judgment. And Jesus called that eternal death, he called it hell. That's bad news. The good news is, as Paul describes in Romans 5.8, uh, but God 
demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. He took our place. We deserve that death, and he died for us. So God has one requirement for this good news. John 3, believe God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever, any person, anywhere, who will believe what God has said about his son, who he is, and what he's done for us. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. Today we're going to re-engage with the Apostle Paul and Silas with the newly added Timothy last week. And Luke, remember Luke joins the group in um, Acts chapter 16. Today we find them in the city of Philippi because that's where we left them last week, uh, where a new church has been planted in Lydia's home. Lydia was the seller of purple from Thyatira. Remember, she heard Paul speak and she placed her faith in Jesus and she had her entire uh, family listen to this message. They all came to faith and there was a big baptism service. And we're going to pay Paul in Philippi. Let's look at it on the map. So this is a Mediterranean, so pay attention, those who like the maps. So this is a Mediterranean Sea. This is an important part of the New Testament world. Jerusalem, down the lower right corner, that's where the temple is. That's where the church got its start. That's where Jesus was crucified. Antioch, this is in Syria. It's outside of Israel. It's a Gentile nation, uh, uh, Syria, and Antioch has become the leading church, the sending church, the missionary church of the New Testament world. And they sent out Paul and Barnabas. And now, that's first missionary journey. This is the second missionary journey. Now they're sending out Paul and Silas. They went through Tarsus, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, keep going northwest, Pisidian Antioch. Remember, there are two Antiochs. We don't know exactly what towns he went through uh, they went through here, but they're going to end up in Troas, uh, up toward uh, the top there. Then they're going to go to Neapolis and then Philippi, and that's where they are. Second missionary journey. This is Acts 16, okay? And uh, b- by the way, a lot of that area with Tarsus, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian, Antioch is today modern-day Turkey. And we're headed over to Philippi, which then was Macedonia. Macedonia was a very large area in that day. And today, Macedonia would include Romania, Bulgaria, Serbia, Kosovo, and also Macedonia. So, my wife's always telling me she wants to know what are the modern-day countries. That's the map. So, um, We find uh, the Apostle Paul in this situation today, to begin with, that he's going to become a prisoner, okay? And this is about the Good News Jail Ministry. We actually have a Good News Jail Ministry right here in Eau Claire. But here is the first one in Philippi. And verses 16 through 24, we have the go-to-jail card. And Paul and uh, Silas receive a go-to-jail card. And I think we have a card here. Oh, it's kind of hard to see if you've ever played Monopoly. They get the go to jail card, do not pass, go. And so, uh, so how did this happen? How did they get this go to jail card 
And we, we began with the fortune-telling venture business in verse 16. And you can follow in your program. You have an outline there. Once, this is Luke writing, when we, here we go, the we, that's Luke, includes Luke, we were going to the place of prayer, the place of prayer. This is where they went last week. This is where they met Lydia. It was outside the city. And uh, the Jewish people were scattered all over the Roman Empire. They typically gathered in a place called the synagogue. The synagogue required there to be 10 males that were head of households. One of the head God as a Jewish a synagogue, which is a gathering place, and, and prayer and reading scripture and dialoguing about what the Bible had to say. There weren't enough Jewish people in Philippi, and there were only women coming to this prayer meeting. So they were going to this place of prayer. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she had predicted the future. So this woman is a slave, uh, probably a young, young woman, and uh, she also had a demon. She had a demonic spirit. We don't know her background. We don't know how she became a slave. We don't know how she came upon a demonic spirit. But she had the supernatural ability to predict the future. And I want you to know it was supernatural. She wasn't just, you know, a fortune teller faking it, being really smart. Uh, she had a super... Sometimes Christians get confused about her. people who can do prophecy or, or uh, foretell something in the future and, or see a, something that's a miracle that's supernatural. And not all supernatural things are from God. In this case, very clearly, it was not. And this girl earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So here's the deal. She... Some would say had this gift. In reality, she had a demon. And this um, made it possible for her to supernaturally, at times, tell some of the future. Now, she couldn't tell all the future. And she couldn't tell the future in every detail for every person. But she had some supernatural ability to know some things about the future. And she made some predictions. And she was accurate enough that her owners were making money off of what she did. They were using her... Because she was demonic. Prophetic message, verse 17, they followed Paul. She followed Paul, Luke, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, I don't think she'd ever met Paul and Silas before. I don't know if she'd ever listened to anybody talk about them before. But she is very curious, and she is attracted to them, and she just can't let them out of her sight, and she wants to be around them. And she speaks a prophetic message. She says, these men are servants of the Most High God. You know what? I would like somebody to recognize me that way, to identify, oh, yeah, Jerry's a servant of the Most High God. Not just a, a nice, I mean, if it's real. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they are telling you the way to be saved. Well, that's just cutting right to the chase. What are these guys here for? They are telling people. But this is kind of an unusual way. She identifies them. 
But by the way, would you like to receive a compliment from a demonic spirit? Jesus had this problem in his ministry. Some of you know that. You read the Gospels. You followed uh, his story. Uh, one example is Mark 1, 21 through 26. So they went to Capernaum, Capernaum and when this, I could have a map here, but North Shore, Sea of Galilee. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. So here's a guy in the synagogue. He's at the place of worship. And he cries out, next slide, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Has insight way beyond human understanding. People are having a really difficult time believing in Jesus in the first century. And a demon shows up right off the bat. The Holy One of God. This is the one prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus speaks, be quiet. He speaks to the demon. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. He's not speaking to the man. He's speaking to the demon. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. So there's a power encounter. Jesus, the power of God, versus a demonic spirit. Jesus wins. Um, Happens again in Mark chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. For he had healed many, this is Jesus, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. People just wanted to be around him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Just think about people down and bowed down before the Lord of the universe. Because they have insight up. They have communication traveling in their circles that humans weren't picking up. And for some reason, in the presence of the power of of God, there's extreme humility on the part of a demon. It happens again in Matthew 5, or Mark chapter 5. I'm just going to skip that passage. We're going to go on to the power encounter in verse 18. So, so Paul and his companions are being followed by the slave girl, remember? And she, she can foretell the future. She's making money for her, for her owners. And uh, she has said that Paul and Silas... Timothy and Luke are servants of the Most High God, and they're sharing the way of salvation. But she, verse 18, kept us up for many days. She's become kind of a nuisance. And in the long run, you don't really want demonic press. And you really don't want your ministry tied with the demonic. So annoyed and turned around and said to the Spirit, he's speaking to the Spirit, not to the woman, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. That is a power encounter. The power of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Speaking directly to a demonic spirit. And the demonic spirit is is submissive in obedience to Christ. Now, we don't know what happens to this girl. Tradition uh, indicates to us that she became a part of the Philippian church in the future. That she um, 
hears the gospel. She wants to know about the power of God. She wants to know this person who released her from a demonic spirit. And she's going to connect in the future. The scriptures don't, don't tell us that story. Tradition has her as a part of the house church at Lydia's house. Human traffickers realized that their hope of making money was gone. They didn't care about the girl. They had an investment. They had a money-making venture. She was bringing in the dough. And uh, he, the Apostle Paul has just shut off their cash flow. And so here's how they respond. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So the, the owners are, are outraged. Somebody has destroyed their business. It's like stealing their money, at least in their eyes. Verse 20, they brought them before the magistrates. These men are Jews and throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. They they didn't have anything to say about what Paul did in casting out the demon. They think about losing their business. They're going to pull a... Uh, you know, these are men of opportunity. They're going to they're gonna focus on something they think will work here. You know, what works. They're very pragmatic. And what they think will work here is, let's play the card that these Jewish men are trying to proselytize us Roman citizens to become Jewish. That's against the law in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was very tolerant about religions. They allowed just about any religion to exist. But what you don't get the privilege to do is to try to get Roman citizens to become one of you. Now, right now, they can't distinguish between Christianity and the Jewish people. What we're going to see here is that Paul and Silas get arrested because they're Jewish. And Timothy and Luke don't get arrested because they're not and there had recently been a big uh, thing, event happened in Rome, and the, and, and the Jews were expelled from the city. And there's sort of like this is information is kind of disseminating through the Roman Empire that it's okay to put down Jewish people. And so they, they pick on Paul and Silas. They, so they, 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 they try to make this a legal issue. Verse 22, there's a public tri- tribunal. It's not really a tribunal. The crowd joined in. That was kind of made the public part of it. In the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates, that kind of made it a little bit official, the government officials, the authorities, ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Magistrates uh, traveled around, and they usually had a soldier or two with them, and the soldier would carry a bundle of rods. And then an axe kind of in the center. It was sort of demonstrate that we have the authority to administer justice for the Roman Empire. Execution as needed to carry out Roman law. And uh, so magistrates kind of right on the spot. They ordered Paul and Barnabas to be stripped and they smacked them with those rods over and over and over. It's like, like sometimes you hear about caning. 
These, these were narrow rods, but the idea was to inflict a lot of pain and tear the skin. And they're probably mostly across the back. I would guess that sometimes they missed. Verses 23 and 24, the imprisonment. After they had been severely flogged. And please know, this was real pain. We sometimes forget that in the Bible. You know, we, we see our heroes and everything is supernatural. And, oh, man, they're so awesome. This hurt. They bled. It was painful. Um, their flesh was ripped open. They were thrown into preve these orders. He put them in the inner sail. This is maximum security. And fastened their feet into stocks. And they put their prisoners like this into... Uh, they, they often would just spread their legs and sort of lock them into a formation that was extremely uncomfortable with no bathroom privileges and uh, not a good situation. But God is about advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. So God gives Paul and Silas a get-out-of-jail card. We're going to see that in verses 25 through 40. Get-out-of-jail card, there it is. So just keep it until you need it. Although there's no guarantee about getting out of jail. So uh, verse 25, the concert in the cell. This is not a concert in the park. This is a concert in the cell. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Beaten, they're probably sitting their legs in stocks. It's dark. They have no, received no medical treatment. And wouldn't it be just, oh, my back hurts. Oh, this is so hard. Oh, why did God allow this to happen? They could have just spent their time complaining about how bad it was. But for some reason, they're praying and for some reason, they're moved to worship and they're singing hymns to God. This is kind of an unusual picture. And the other prisoners are listening and there seems to be a joy about Paul and Silas that just can't explain. And then uh, there's a prison break, verses 26 through 28. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake. This was answer to prayer. I don't know that they prayed for an earthquake and to free, him, free them. I know what they prayed, but I'm guessing they just wanted God to accomplish his will and to free, him, free them if he wanted them out. And uh, suddenly, the prison, such a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open. How convenient. There's probably some logical reason how that happened. I think it was a supernatural event, just my opinion. And everyone's chains came loose. God answered. This was a supernatural prison break. But this is not the first supernatural prison break. There's one in Acts 4 and there's one in Acts 12 with Peter. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he threw his, uh, his, he, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. The earthquake woke up the jailer, probably wake up you, and the doors of the cells. He 
would be executed for allowing his prisoners to escape. Roman law. It would be an honor for him to execute this on himself rather than having to put other people through it. That he would just be man enough to own up to his own failure and do the justice right there. So he's ready to kill himself. Verse 28, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Paul just saved his life. Paul could have stood back and say, hang on. Okay, we're free. He's dead. Paul intervenes, and he says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The prisoners didn't escape. The prisoners didn't leave. The prisoners have been observing these supernatural events. 30, they're just uh, observing here. Verses 29 through 30 comes the humble question from the jailer. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Now, we don't know how much the jailer knew about Paul and Silas. I'm guessing he probably knew quite a bit. He was in charge of these prisoners. He'd heard the stories. Maybe he even knew about the demonized girl that was going around saying these men are showing the way of salvation that these men are servants of God but this um, jailer has just been preserved by one of these servants and this jailer has probably heard them they probably sang for a while and prayed for a while and this jailer just experienced the earthquake and I think he thinks it's supernatural. And he comes hungers. He's the jailer. Verse 30. He brought them in, out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He recognizes he is in a precarious place. And he is in a unique place. And he's standing before the servants of God. And they know something that he doesn't know, and he would like to know more. The eternal answer, verse 31, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe, trust, have faith, rely on, count on this, Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross, the one who paid the penalty for your sins, the jailer's sins, the slave girl's sins, for you and my sins, your sins, the one who died for you and for me, the one who became our substitute. We deserve the death, the eternal spiritual death, separation from God for an eternity. Jesus took it on himself. The good news is, he died, he was buried, and on the third day he raised, he was raised, we call it the resurrection, demonstrating victory over death, victory over sin, victory over Satan. And now, when you understand that, Paul is saying, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not dead, he is alive. 
There's so many people who don't get that. He's alive right now. He ascended into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. And if you could go there right now, you could see him face to face. One day you will see him face to face. Will you be ready? The good news for the household, verse 32 for through 34. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. A jailer had the responsibility to take care of the prisoners. The jailer had the authority to do whatever he wanted with the prisoners. I, I would expect that he could harm them pretty severely. But he had an obligation and a responsibility to deliver the prisoner when asked for or when the time was called for. And so he was responsible for this prisoner. But if he wanted to take him out of the prison, as long as he could deliver, he had that authority. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. The jailer lived close. The jailer gathered his family in the middle of the night. The jailer gathered the household servants. And the Apostle Paul got to explain in detail so important why the good news is good. Verse 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. So finally, a little medical attention. And washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. So very soon. They've already placed their faith in Christ. They've heard the message. It's been explained to them. They've had time for this. They, they, they are cared for, Paul and Silas. And now the jailer and his family want to be baptized. And they're baptized in the middle of the night. Verse 34. The jailer brought them into his house. And set a meal before them. His prisoners. He brings them into his home now. Having a meal is about intimate fellowship. It's, you don't do this with just everybody. He, he was filled with joy. Because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Paul and Silas told the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your household. The jailer had to believe. Each individual in the household had to believe. And they did. And the jailer was filled with joy. The power of a changed life. The work of the Holy Spirit. Who brings joy into a person's heart. The work of the Holy Spirit. It's we call it the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, when the Lord Jesus is in charge through the Holy Spirit of a person's life, joy is an outgrowth of that. The release, verses 35 and 36, when it was daylight, the magistrates, the government officials, sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. Magistrates probably thought, you know, bloodied them up a little bit. And they spent a night in the jail, kind of uncomfortable. They're probably going to think twice about messing with us in the future. Let's let, let's let them off the hook. Release those men. The jailer and people, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go, go in peace. That's good news, isn't it? Not so fast. Verse 37, the refusal, refusal 
Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens, they threw us in prison. Paul has just pulled out his trump card. This is a problem. This is a problem for the magistrates. Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. They did not know that. That changes everything. Roman citizens have rights and privileges that other people don't have. Roman citizens cannot be uh, imprisoned for any reason without a fair trial. Rods cannot be disciplined publicly like that. You cannot beat a Roman citizen. And Paul says, and now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Sounds like Paul wants a little justice here. Paul wants an apology. Is that too much? Is he kind of displaying a little... The apology comes in verses 38 and 39. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed, and so they should be, because they could lose their job, and they could maybe even lose their head over this. Mistreating Roman citizens without due process. Very dangerous. Verse uh, 39, they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Now they become Mr. Nice Guys to Paul and Silas. Hey, guys, you're okay. No hard feelings. Um, They could not order Roman citizens to leave their city. They could suggest it. It'd be good for them if they slipped away. Was Paul vindictive here? Was he over the top in his response? Maybe we'd all kind of like to get back a little bit. But you know what? He just protected the church, the new church, the church at Lydia's house. Magistrates are going to think twice about persecuting this new fledgling church because of their connection with these Roman citizens. And they're going to experience some persecution later. But right now, it's a little safety. Okay, a return to to fellowship, verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, uh, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Uh, One little thing you should notice here. I I won't spend time on 40. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. What's... What just happened? It doesn't say we left. Luke is not leaving. Luke is staying in Philippi to lead this church. And it's going to be Paul and Silas and Timothy. Okay, some lessons. I'll try to go through these quick. Sometimes sharing the good news of Christ brings relational and cultural tension. You probably know that. But this happened in Philippi. Paul was not arrested for sharing the gospel. Paul was put in prison because he took money away from two Roman citizens, the slave owners. Um, On many occasions, 
uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, but don't forget, this is real physical pain and real physical suffering. And we just think, if we're good Christians, that life should be good and we should be happy and we should be comfortable. But if we're following Christ, that's not necessarily true. Paul and Silas were beaten badly. They were thrown into jail. Their feet were in stocks. This was real pain and real suffering. Uh, Paul later reminded the Philippian church in Philippians 1.29. He said, for, for It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, Remember, when I was there in Philippi, Paul says, now you're facing that struggle. There's some persecution, and you hear that I still have. So um, Paul says it's to the Philippians, they, they just get it. It's just, we're following Christ. If you want to look up another passage, 1 Peter 2, verses 20 and 21, we're going to skip it. We're going to go on to number three. Number three is that we saw this with Paul's encounter with the demonic spirit of the fortune teller. Let me just say quickly, resources for spiritual battles we're doing in prison. God's word, using God's word, relying on truth, and weighing information from your world against the truth. Because the enemy deceives, the enemy distorts truth. The word of God, speaking the word of God. The power of Jesus, it was in the name of Jesus, that the spiritual power encounters were one. And lastly, a godly life. A godly life makes a lot of difference in spiritual warfare. The power of somebody walking with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a passage, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. We're going to skip that. Um, and uh, the fourth one is, joy of the Holy Spirit is based on one's inner circumstances, not on one's outer circumstances. Spirit is based on your inner circumstances. How are you with God? It is not, it is never based on your outer circumstances, how tough life is. Life is tough. The joy is in here. And you see that with Paul and Silas in, in singing and praying at night after they've been beaten. You see it with the jailer who's just uh, placed his faith in Christ. Um, and I'm going to skip Galatians 5.16 that tells us to walk by the power of the Spirit, and then you can see Galatians 5.22 and 23 where joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go to the last one, number five, never give up on sharing the good news because it is an eternal life and death matter. Never give up on sharing the good news. Um, Paul, Paul and Silas, we'll wait until we rest. Wait till we get some medical treatment. They, they just take advantage of this opportunity, and God uses it. This is what Paul tells the Philippians later, Philippians one twenty seven. Whatever happens, thrown in jail, beaten, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I've always liked that standard. It always helps me. Am I living in a way that's worthy of what Jesus did for me? And whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one, one for the faith of the gospel. 
And I like the last part, striving together. This is the church. This is who we are. We are to strive together. We have to be in this together. Today we're gathered. Monday we're scattered. We strive together for the faith of the gospel. That's what the church is to be about. It is a movement. Al Brock of the World Trade Center. One week after the collapse of the World Trade Center, his body discovered in the rubble. According to his wife, Jeannie, Al didn't really like his job. Ever heard of that one before? I don't like my job. He didn't like the work environment. His place of work was way out of sync with his Christian values. But Al wouldn't quit. He was convinced that God wanted him to be there, that God wanted him to be a light in the darkness. Later, later, the Braca family learned about Al's ministry on 9-11. Reports trickled in. Some of these probably took months, even years, from the 105th floor to their friends and family because of the emails that were sent to friends and family. And, and what was discovered, there was a man who was leading people in prayer on the 105th floor. Some of those people said the man was Al. When Al realized that they would not escape, he gathered about 50 co-workers and began to pray. And he walked through the good news of Jesus Christ and shared with people how they could be saved from the penalty of sin on their final hour. Perhaps one day you and I will meet Al. Maybe we'll meet all 50 of his co-workers. But he took this seriously. Never give up on sharing the good news. Let's stand and let's pray together. In the story of the church and how you advance the gospel, thank you that you empower us to live for you one day at a time. May our focus not be on what will make us happy or how we can be pleased, but may our focus be on how we can please you. For Jesus' sake, amen.